0: Hey all, another great conversation from the home of sound science. And I got back from Sweden a couple of weeks ago, got some great interviews there. And I finally got to catch up in person with Dr. Pierre Corey. So we had a great discussion on mass mortality, maybe connected to mass medication. Or is it? Well, we had a discussion on it, very open and upfront And I think it's a great short chat. So don't forget, please do subscribe, hit the little notification bell and share. It's really important when we want to get out. Sound science in the face of media nonsense. Uh, But with that, here we go. Dr. Pierre Corey. I'm here at a superb conference in Sweden, all about the challenges we've discussed at length on this channel, of course. And I finally met up, delighted to meet up in person with Dr. Pierre Corey, who has been obviously a, a hero of... You know, countering maybe some of the more problematic things we've seen in the last few years. Would that be fair, Pierre? Yeah, I think I've done an okay job. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And I know you have to get back to the conference, so maybe we'll just talk around some of your key current points. Uh, Not so much the past, but what are the important things now happening? You have a book, I know, we want to talk about. But maybe we'll just roll with the key things in your mind. Yeah, Well, I would say, you know,
1: where I am today is, uh, I wouldn't say at the end of a journey, but it's certainly at this point after a three-year journey. um, You know, I'm I'm constantly trying to disseminate the things that I've learned um, after deep study, close involvement with numerous aspects of of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's combined with the fact that I'm naturally in my career and profession and desire, I'm an educator. That's just always what I've done. I mean, my whole career in medicine was teaching, uh, students, fellows, residents, and um, writing, publishing, and uh, it's sort of, I'm doing the same thing. It's just a different topic and a different audience. I think now, um, now where it gets a little dark, I, I mean, I have left the medical system largely over what I've learned about it. Um, and I think the things that I'm focusing on now is that people need to understand, and I kind of gave a lecture on it today, just the, the immense amount of control and consolidation of really the entire Biomedical industrial complex, you know, involving medical journals, medical schools, the funding of research, um, and it's it's literally all controlled by the pharmaceutical industry. Um, you know, I, I often talk about like where I started before COVID and, and where I ended up, and you know, I you know, before COVID, my understanding of pharmaceutical company corruption and influence was was quite laughable I thought most of it was just around like marketing you know drug reps coming into doctor's offices with pens and inviting them to dinner and trips you know and, and you know I figured that's like normal business and you know a little ugly but um you know what I came to find out in COVID is much much <laughs> darker and um I cannot seem to find an end to the corruption and the control um it seems everywhere I look uh, the hand of pharma is there. And then obviously there's hands that control pharma. So um, I think it's really important to understand that that almost all the information that we're being presented within that system is highly manufactured, controlled, and effectively corrupted. And yeah. it's not serving us well. We are in the midst of a massive humanitarian catastrophe, um, which is in the wake of this global vaccination campaign, which I don't want to sound smarter than everyone. But it was always, before it started, illogical. The idea of vaccinating against one of the highest mutagenic viruses, it's never been done before. You were never going to catch up to it. Um, That would be one illogical thing. But what I never knew is the toxicity of the protein they chose as the antigen to induce immunity. And they chose the spike protein and it turned out to be one of the most toxic proteins in history and we're dealing with a a catastrophe at the best estimate right now Um, this is highly data-driven is about 17 million people have died as the result of the vaccine and I would say almost nowhere do people know that there is a mass die-off in the vaccines there's now starting to be talk about the excess mortality which is Developing so many countries of the highest vaccinated countries. The UK, um, you know, MP Andrew Bridgen is here. Yeah. Um, he has successfully gotten a hearing assigned in the parliament uh, in the UK for October uh, addressing the excess mortality. We all know what's causing this excess mortality, but no one's paying attention. In the United States, there's no discussion in the media amongst health agencies. This is, this is a quiet or silent or I would say censored humanitarian Mm. catastrophe
0: and yeah yeah Yeah, and i would uh, this one for me is kind of slightly challenging because we had always predicted uh, that the sequelae of lockdowns and the psychological terror and the shutting of the health system uh, the phrase in our movie was there's a freight train of excess mortality coming and we made the movie in 2020 so it didn't even include the vaccine but the the terrible thing is that All of those sequelae, which are hard to define and quantify, they've now beautifully mixed them in with the vaccine being rolled around the same time. And it's just very hard for me to separate them. When I'm forced to answer the question, I say, well, they did the crazy stuff on lockdown and psychological torture and ruining the medical system. And they did the crazy stuff on a crazy vaccine, as you described, which has clear toxicity. There's no question about that. And now we have this blob of a mess that they have created by their measures. Mm. Um, But separating out the vaccine, I think there's quite a bit of data that's beginning to try and really separate it out. Maybe we could touch on some of that data. Mm.
1: And I agree, so so when you look, especially when you studied excess mortality, let's say from the beginning of COVID, right? So 2020 is clear, right? There's no vaccine in 2020. Mm. And you saw excess deaths, and like you said, in that period, what was it? Was it all COVID? Was it lockdowns, you know, the social isolation, the closing of business, the mm. economic despair? and I mean, there was, it, it was a massive shock to society. And yes, you're right. You, if you predicted an excess mortality, you were correct. It's, it's hard to tease out how much was COVID back then just because mm. the testing is just a mess. Yeah. Now, who you're testing, who you're not testing, um, the tests were overly sensitive to begin with. You had all these, it, it, it's a mess. But... You can when you look at data. So you're asking them what's, what's kind of the most convincing data that really points to vaccines. You can actually do it very carefully. So you can generate rates of death in vaccinated versus unvaccinated populations.
0: If you, if you can get that data, that's tough. Yeah. So,
1: so I would agree that it is tough mm. in a lot of places. Mm. And it changed really quickly because what I noticed is that there were some countries that were very transparent with vaccination mm. status. So you could glean good data and make analyses But you'll notice, and this is very well documented, is a lot of those countries that started off transparent. You'll see the health ministry suddenly put, you've seen this, right? I know. They put little notices that we will no longer be Mm -hmm. publicizing vaccination status for fear that people will misinterpret this data. (laughs) I'm a misinformationist and a misinterpretationist, I suppose. So, mm. um, but there is still data where you can do that. Yeah. And then there's what I would call the temporal association. So for me, the most yeah. convincing, and I've written about this a lot lately on my Substack, is something called the U.S. Society of Actuaries um, quarterly report from May 2023. And if you look at that report, so that's a report from the group life health insurance industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And a couple of things you need to know about group life health insurance policies is that they're generally only issued to employed individuals, so you have to be Mm -hmm. employed and generally well employed. So you have to work for a company that has put in the resources to offer their employees group life health. And you're talking about Fortune 500 companies largely, so that is the market. Mm The other thing you need to know about that group is that they are traditionally the healthiest people in the society with the lowest mortality rates. Um, something like, I think, 20% of the society at large, it had uh, 20% the rate of death of the society at large. So they they generally don't die. Mm. Well-educated, well-employed, you know, families, careers, all of that. Um, And the second thing you need to know is the life insurance industry makes their money off of data, right, so they have very clear and precise estimates of rates of disabilities, accidents, deaths. Um, That's how they price their policies. The life insurance industry, at the end of August 2021, one of the CEOs of one of the largest companies in the United States, which is called One America, he was at a chamber of commerce meeting in Indiana. This is just a random little event, little mm-hmm. chamber of commerce meeting, and he managed to speak very openly and candidly. I so said, this is a life insurance giant. And he said a few things. He said, number one, the rates of debt they're seeing in their industry, they've never seen before. It was off the charts. Number two, he said that a 10% change in death rates from year to year is a one in 200-year event. One in 200 years. Mm -hmm. And what he was reporting at that time is that they saw a year-to-year jump of 40% in employed working-age Americans. So if 10% is a one in Mm 200-year, they're seeing 40%. Now, so we already knew that there was this sudden sea change. So there's danger signals being sent out from the industry. Then you see the U.S. Society of Actuaries report. And they actually have, by quarter and by year, what the rates of increase in life insurance claims were. And if you look at quarter three and quarter four of 2021, you saw 200% increases in the age group of 25 to 34. A 200% increase in life insurance claims in one quarter. And if you look to the quarter before, it wasn't there. It was up. But you saw this sudden massive rise in a number of young age strata. Quarter three and quarter four. Now, you have to ask yourself, why would there be an explosion in death in the third quarter of 2021? And really, there's. if you look at epidemiologically, if you look at sociologically, what could have happened? So I sometimes, and it's not a joke, I say, maybe we mobilized our youth and sent them to war in Ukraine in 2021. <laughs> I, I didn't see, see newspaper reports about that. I don't mm-hmm. think it was wartime losses. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember a series of terrorist attacks that decimated the youth. Um everybody brings up the opioid epidemic. The opioid epidemic has been raging for 10 years. I don't remember something that happened in the third quarter of 2021 that would double the rate of... And also, drug overdoses are actually well categorized. And the insurance industry themselves say it's not drug overdose, it's not deaths of despair. So there's something in the air that must have exploded in the third quarter of 2021, and it was the mandates. That's when there was a proliferation of corporate, governmental, school, university, um, health care government mandates 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 Since as you show those mandates proliferate if you look at the uh, that report you see this explosion in death and the deaths continue because some of the deaths were acute cardiovascular deaths sudden cardiac arrest and you know mm-hmm. the newspapers the world over you can't pick up a newspaper where it's not another report of a young healthy person doing an activity outside and collapses and dies we see that in professional athletes so so there's this, this just wave of death everywhere, which is kind of being normalized and not discussed. And to your point, they're burying it under COVID. Any illness you have right now, it's COVID. COVID COVID caused it, it's long COVID. And so they have almost an
0: instrument to suppress the, this, the dangers of the vaccine. And you know the funny thing when you say it there, I was about to just say on your long list of what it's not, it's obviously not COVID, under 35, right? It's not COVID, but they still try and use it. And I think when we said there was a freight train coming, I actually said the phrase in in the movie, uh, and God help us, they'll probably try to blame it retrospectively on COVID, which is nonsense, but they'll probably do that. And as you say, of course they did. So it's all covered up and absolutely i've come across and seen but not delved too deeply into because i'm focusing on other things uh, kind of what you've referred to and absolutely it is compelling as you say temporal yes which adds a lot of causality to just a correlation and um, one thing as well i the reason i kind of pulled my claws in a little pierre on the excess mortality is that sweden you know, even though they didn't lock down, they stayed rational, they actually got a very high vaccination rate. And because I was so close to mortality versus lockdown, Sweden didn't really exhibit much in the way of mortality. So people could accuse that of being a black swan, which I often use in my favor. And hey, Ivor, you got a black swan against your logic. So it kind of took my horns in. And I'm not sure I fully explained it like their muted, excess mortality... It didn't seem to respond to the vaccine. It's a tricky one. Yeah. Mm. And so,
1: you know, when you look at data, right? So I would use Sweden as, and I'm not dismissing Sweden's Mm. case. I think it's actually a fascinating case. Mm. Um, But it's really being used as the exception, the exception that proves the rule or that that, that negates the rule. It it is an extreme outlier, Sweden. It is. And Mm. actually there's a debate as to how much outlier it is because I've seen numerous analyses in Sweden. Sweden is a very special case because... Swedish mortality has been decreasing pretty significantly over time, mm-hmm. pretty significantly over time, and the decreases that was expected in 2021 and 22 did not materialize. There was a decrease, it was much less than would, the trend line would have predicted.
0: That's a fair right. point, which you're right. I came across mm-hmm. and did not delve into due time restraint, but that's a fair point. If you would have continued on a trajectory down, but did not, that is an excess. So
1: something happened, right? Mm. And that was in 21 and 22. So, so, but I, let's just say that Sweden was affected less, but then it gets even murkier because if you look at the, um, and I recently read an analysis on, that. when you compare it to, let's say, for, I think it was Dan- Denmark on... Um, they kind of fared about similarly to the other Scandinavian countries. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that much worse. And then there's the most troubling thing. This is where it gets really complex. This is just my hypothesis. But there was this really uh, troubling paper that came out of Denmark, and you may be familiar with this. It was where they analyzed the lots that were distributed in Denmark, right? And so they had three different sort of releases of the vaccine. And in one uh, lots you had no adverse repen- events reported. Millions of people were vaccinated with a vaccine which, which there was no adverse event, okay? Mm. Then in another strat, another lot, it had a moderate rate, and then there was one that was off the charts. And we know the lot variation issue. And so my question is, what can explain Sweden? And I think there is an answer. I don't know if we know what the answer is, but mm. one of my hypotheses is, did the Swedes somehow get a less toxic vaccine than other countries? What was the distribution of the lots? And I'm sure that's an answer that someone can provide, but that's kind of one of my thoughts. But, but but, the thing is, you have to remove Sweden because the data is so massive, so mm. strong, so consistent. The more highly vaccinated countries, the higher the excess mortality, it has a really tight correlation. And you have dozens and dozens of examples of this. And so, mm. again, I think Sweden is complex, but just because for whatever reason, it didn't affect Sweden, you want to use that to say the vaccines are safe and don't quote. Not, not well, you, but no, I'm saying, and I say this to the wider. group, Yeah, because I think it's good to question and, and try yeah. to understand why doesn't that fit. But I, I get to tell you, I've studied many topics in the science, even therapeutics. You have trials which line up that show something consistently beneficial. But then you have a trial where it shows that it actually doesn't work or mm-hmm. it's harmful. And there's always a variation. And so and sometimes it's hard to tell what that
0: is. But, and sometimes you know, eventually you explain it. And there was an exception that you didn't know about. So Sweden yeah. is still in that area, possibly, of that there is something different. And we can't really know. But to, to your question about it, I, obviously I didn't take it. It's absurd on the right. point of principle that, that a corrupt, ultra-corrupt system is going to tell me perforce I must inject myself. Yeah. I'm not anti-vax. On the point of principle, I, I will say no. Um, and also we know, I think, some of the most solid official data from the official trials of Pfizer... There was one in, I think, 780 of, of very substantial side effect. So death and side effects are accepted. The only argument is extent. And because the vaccines, as clearly shown by Professor Fenton in the UK, yeah. they had no real benefit, largely. That was a statistical trick. So if there's no benefit, and we know even the bad guys would admit there are serious side effects and death at some level, it's insane. And the criminality was the coercion. I mean, if they offered them like statins and it was buyer beware, I'd say it's not my fight. You want to take that nonsense? Go ahead. Well, I think that coercion Well, for me, one of the biggest, um, and I would put this in
1: the category of co- coercion, but, you know, the way the vaccines were presented, right, was the savior to this crisis that is developing the world. And, and yeah. they, they trained all their propaganda and they succeeded. They got people to really believe I need my vaccine. And those that didn't, weren't doing their part, they're endangering us, so there was division. But it was clear to me, it was one of the awakenings that I had. Again, it's a journey of discovery. What I knew three years ago, what I know now about how the system operates. But uh, it was iterative. There were certain time points where I would hear something that the government just did, or they issued a new policy, and for the life of me, I would get very uneasy because it didn't make sense. And some of it was brazen. So I would tell you, one of probably the most illuminating events that I'll remember to this day was when the vaccines rolled out, within within the rollout, I had colleagues who were internists, they had bustling practices, and their patients were coming to them for advice. Should I get the vaccine? And without faking, my colleagues would say, well, let's check antibodies, right? Check antibodies. Let's see if you have antibodies to COVID. If you do, you don't need the vaccine, right? Like every other infectious disease we've yeah. ever managed... And they were checking antibodies, or they were just taking histories. So, have you had COVID? Yeah, I had COVID a couple of months ago. If you had COVID, you don't need the shot. So what happens? The FDA puts on their website that day brazen ridiculous. They're just saying we have no evidence to suggest that checking antibodies confers sh- should be understood as protection against COVID. You need your vaccine. And, I, and basically, the way I saw that is, so the FDA is telling us we have to vaccinate people who have recovered from COVID. And I had to say, why would they do that? Because it's clearly false. Clearly false. Now, we know with cold virus, you'll never get immunity. It's always mutating. You always have a chance of getting it again. But generally, the subsequent uh, cases are always milder. The vaccine's never going to help that. And so why would they do it? There's only one explanation. They wanted to vaccinate as many people. And I saw it as they wanted to expand the pool of potential candidates for the vaccine. And so you could see that was not a scientific policy. It was a political financial one. And so once you start to understand that this campaign was not about our livelihood, it was literally political and financial, and then you could go to other objectives. But you know, when you see how what's behind all of this, I mean you have to be lost uh, left with a loss of trust. Yeah. Um, this is probably too big for this interview, but I've because of what I learned that how the campaign was conducted, what it caused, how the information was suppressed and censored. So analyses like Fenton's, I mean, it might get published in a third, second or third-teal journal, but even if it gets published, it's not getting covered, no, right? Because most people are not deep-reading medical journals. So although you can get these published, you'll never get it published in a high-impact journal. So all of the adverse data is being censored, and if you have a diet, which is most doctors in the world, their diet consists of high-impact medical journals, right? want to know what's going on, you read the New England Journal of Medicine, the Journal of American Medical Association, and there, repeated, repeated messaging safe and effective, safe for pregnancy, safe for this, ignoring the dropping, the dropping birth rates around the world. I mean, that's the other thing with the vaccine. We didn't have sudden plummeting drop in birth rates in 2020. In 2021, timed at nine months from the rollouts in different countries, you see month-to-month drops that you've never seen before, 10 to 14%. Seasonal I, variations aren't even close to that.
0: I watch those, and because I, I'm probably a little obsessive, I'm such a purist to acknowledge confounders just my history um in the financial crisis 2008 i actually looked back and said okay we've had a seismic event that scared the pants off society and i was thinking could it be confounded now not that the 10 to 14 was that right could some of it be just to cover my own ass and, and be as truthful and I went back to 2009 financial crash. And in fairness, there was a 6 or 7% slump, just because everyone suddenly felt less certain about it the future. yeah. So my best guess is there. We know that spike goes to the ovaries. We know it goes to gonads. We know there's effects. So I'm saying, okay, it's a mixture. Maybe it's yeah. 50-50. But either way, it's criminal that they did the response that caused that human psychological suffering that caused the birth rate to drop. And it's criminal that they coerced the vaccines. So either way, the job lot is criminality, in there's, my there's mind. There's no question. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and, and I agree. So there's always going to be multiple contributing yeah. factors. But the largest and most overwhelming and most controllable and reversible yeah. is the impact of the vaccines. I mean, some of the despair and the, the stress, the anxiety, thats very hard to solve. Vaccines yeah. are actually very easy to solve. You pull them off the market right now. True. And uh, there's many of us who have been calling for that loudly for well over year. The data is screaming for well over a year that the net risks so far away any benefit which is literally minimal to none um actually i would argue that the vaccines i would say the best data show there's negative efficacy more likely to get it um and this trope about how it prevents severe disease is one of the, the history's greatest lies
0: and from fenton's work it's almost comical the lie when he explains the statistical chicanery that gets it uh, it's just absurd with the 14 day delay before considering all factors and then the shift in registered death date and he's just pulled out all the reasons that this data is nonsense at best but all the people scream, oh, look at the uh, look at the non-vaccinated versus vaccinated. And they point at this joke of data. Well, you know what, I'm conscious you have to get back, but just maybe we'll finish on, I, I guess, your book that's out. Yeah. We'll certainly want to mention that. And any kind of takeaways now going going forward, as the politicians say, yeah. going forward, the key things you're going to be focusing on to, to help the world. Yeah, so
1: uh, I'm glad you mentioned my book. I mean, obviously, I want the book to be uh, popular, but... You know, I, I don't wanna to sound uh, too moralistic, but you know, I, I really wrote that book with a commitment. I, I, I felt committed that I needed to tell this story. I want this book to enter the historical record. I want someone in 10 years to ask well, what was going on back then? Like how, what happened in COVID? And I think my book does a pretty good job of telling a lot of the levers, the institutions, the coordination, the, 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 the corruption Um, in in a really honest way as a first-hand eyewitness. I mean, I I had to learn all of these things that were happening, why they were happening. And I detail and document all of the players, and I think a very readable story. And I think the importance of the book is that, I think if people read it, they're gonna come away with a knowledge of how disinformation is practiced. Um, And really, I structured the book around the five main disinformation tactics and how they were applied to destroy the evidence of efficacy of ivermectin. And the reason why I want people to know that is as they go forward, as we go forward in the future, I mean, they were highly successful with this pandemic. And, and the, one way I look at it is that pandemic opened up a market at this point, which is north of $100 billion. So if you consider the markets for vaccines, Molnupiravir, paxlobin monoclonal antibodies, remdesivir, um, immense amount of profits were made. Um... I think we're going to see other pandemics. They're going to do the same thing. They're going to suppress easy, cheap, safe alternatives. And I want people to know how to navigate this. It's really a war of information because everything we've been talking about, which is they're manipulating statistics. They suddenly hide statistics. They only publish certain things in journals. You know, the media only has one narrative. It's really a war of information. That's what's poisoning us because the vaccines wouldn't poison us if we had free and open access to transparent, objective information. It wouldn't be the vaccines. Right, of, so it's. Of course. I think I think it's the information war that we're, it, it, it is. So so anyway, I think the book does a really good job of describing how information was corrupted and what it led to, and what it led us to believe. Right, and mm-hmm. I always try to remind people of the the definition of propaganda that I use, which is that it's a story or a message that gets you to think or act in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so there, we're constantly being fed stories and messages. And our actions follow, right, because we tend to believe what we hear, we we respond to stories, and then we modulate our actions accordingly. And I think we need to understand how they bombard us with stories and messages. So that's one thing, and I hope that's a service, a public service going forward. The other thing is going forward is that I don't know how to reform the system and remove the tentacles of control of financial influence of the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, they've captured literally every pillar of the medical system, yeah. from, like I said, the journals, the agencies, um, the f- uh, pr- uh, societies, the funding of research, the funding of hospitals, uh, the amount of money that flows through, I mean, it's, it's, it leads to this massive control. And so where I'm working on, I think we need to go, is I think people need to understand that they need to, I believe, and I lecture about this today, we need some sort of parallel health system that restores some of those freedoms and autonomy. And it has to be, we have to learn to, direct people towards sources that are free of conflicts of interest, that are open, transparent, and objective. Um, and I know it's a little pie-eyed to imagine this, but I think if if we all believe it important and we moved toward it, we should. And I, yeah. I would say our organization, the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance, um, I think we've led by example. We've, done, we've followed those principles since the beginning. I think we've achieved um, a lot of benefit to people. We've really taught people all over the world how to treat this disease, um, how to prevent the disease, and now we're mired in trying to treat vaccine injury, and I'm, I'm getting increasingly successful, but it's, it's a complex disease. We need to really focus on that, because the last thing I'll say is, in the wake of all of this, we, we, we have millions and millions of severely sick and disabled people from the vaccine. Now we're moving away from the deaths, because <laughs> death is one thing that can happen to you, but I'm seeing, I have a whole practice. I have over a thousand patients with me and my partner mm. The majority of them are disabled. When I say disabled, they cannot perform the daily functions that they used yeah. to. And so as a physician and as someone who runs a nonprofit, you know, I'm, I'm first a clinical guy. I mean, I'm really focused on trying to help the suffering right now and and help suffering, help
0: sufferers and prevent further suffering. And I think by arming people with open objective and confidence perfect and well said pierre thanks. and uh, the link is down below to pierre's book and i i kind of see that as an inoculation against future scams hey i
1: like it you, <laughs> so
0: you're calling my book a vaccine it's <laughs> a go- four-letter word now <laughs> of the good sort of yeah, i the good like it sort. I thank like you so much thanks all right. thank you Pierre. Great. there you have it folks so great conversation it's a great guy And the link to his book is down below. I'm sure it's very comprehensive and covers incredible ground. And of course, as always, thanks so much to my supporters on Patreon and PayPal. The links are down below. And anyone else who can come along and support a little for true investigative journalism in the face of mass media misinformation, I'm sure you'll agree. And just help to get the messages out there. You know, it does need support. So, great stuff, guys. Till next time.